A warm welcome and herzlich willkommen to Christmas in Vienna, presented by the Bochtuber Institute for Austrian American Studies. In this three-part holiday special, 10 individuals from across Austria share with us their most cherished Christmas time traditions. From warm meals and busy Christmas markets to scary visits from Krampus and gifts under the Tannenbaum, Austria has a wealth of holiday traditions. Please sit back and enjoy as you are whisked away to snowy alpine villages and the festive streets of Austria's majestic cities. This is how the festival of San Niklaus, from whose name our Santa Claus is derived, is celebrated in the village of Lienz, Austria. Celebrated on December 6th, St. Nicholas Day marks the exchange of gifts and treats, bringing joy to households across Austria. Yet, this festive cheer is balanced by the looming presence of Krampus, a horned creature whose task is to remind the naughty children that consequences await. With roots in Alpine folklore, Krampus Night on December 5th sees costumed performers bringing both fright and merriment to the streets. Please enjoy part one of the series as our 10 guests discuss their experiences with St. Nicholas, his notorious companion Krampus, and the demonic Pershtin that roam the streets searching for misbehaving children. Oh, that was a big highlight, but it was also extremely scary because as you know, in the Alps, uh, in many Alpine countries, St. Nicholas comes with uh, gifts, but he also comes with a very devilish companion, which is the Krampus. And the Krampus is a nightmarish figure. And it was so for us as children. The Krampus would, would not just scare us because he looked so horrible, like, uh, like a devil. In those days, the Krampus would sometimes also beat us with his chains or with his stick. So we were scared scared crazy as children when when St. Nicholas and Krampus uh, was roaming the streets. It, it, it was, a, I think, for many children, a little bit of a traumatic, don't want to overstate it, but a little bit of a traumatic experience to have St. Nicholas and Krampus uh, visiting. Some, some grown-ups would say, yeah, if, if you don't behave, you know, they're gonna, the Krampus takes you uh, with you, uh, kidnaps you, basically. The, the, the only thing between him, the, the Krampus, doing that, and you, it's us, yeah? So you better behave. And that was that was very scary, you know, to know the Krampus is outside of the door and you hear him. Just the idea that somebody would open this door and let him in, it was just uh, very scary. So on St. Nick's Day, usually my family, and keep in mind, I'm from rural Austria, so this reflects probably the traditions of rural Austria, very Catholic Austria. On St. Nick's Day, usually you waited until the evening, until the two of them would come around. St. Nicholas uh, with uh, the bad guy, Krampus it was called, St. Nicholas and Krampus. It might already be snowy, so there might be snow outside, so uh, you were sort of very expectant all day long that uh, this spectacle would unfold. Parents would welcome St. Nicholas and the Krampus into the house. You know, Nicholas was dressed like St. Nicholas in red with that hat on and uh, Krampus was dressed in black uh, with, with a chain. Nicholas brought gifts to the kids, which would be uh, nuts uh, and so forth and maybe oranges. And Krampus would rattle a chain 
and the parents sort of wrote up uh, who had done bad things. You know, we were eight kids uh, and Krampus particularly threatened those kids. So it was sort of the good and the bad at the same time, but uh, certainly Krampus was supposed to uh, instill fear in you. And, and he did. They were naughty little things, nothing really serious that I can remember, but naughty things were already enough to get Krampus out. The feelings were sort of of both kinds. On the one hand, you were looking forward to St. Nicholas giving out little gifts, you know, the oranges, the nuts, the Lebkuchen that you would get that day. And on the other hand, you were afraid that Krampus, you know, he had a sack and the threat was he would stuff, uh, stuff you into the sack and take you out, which of course didn't happen. But I know that my uncle explained it in a way that I was scared, really, because he exaggerated it, of course. He said that they are going to hit me so hard that my uh, whole back is going to be yellow, if I'm lucky, but maybe black. <laughs> so, and I was like, wow. And I said, it's so not fair. Why do girls need to suffer? But of course, I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be good for you. And I still don't understand why is, is this going to be good for us. I was very good at hiding. <laughs> so whenever they were running toward us, I was just somewhere hiding behind the walls or some, you know, some corners or something. Yeah, I mean, when we were like really little, the joke would be if you are a bad child until December 5, you get a gift from Krampus. And then if you're a good child for the next 24 hours, you also get a gift from Santa, uh, from Nicholas. But that's what we told each other. I definitely did Nicholas until like a very long time. I would say like until I was like maybe in my early 20s. Well, or at least as long as I was living at home, I would say. So I would put like a boot like a rain boot or something, um, to the door. Then Nicholas would bring like oranges and like nuts. I was more the traditional family. Like I didn't get a gift on Nicholas, which I always quite loved. And I mean, that's like the, the American Santa Claus, I assume. Our Nicholas who comes on the on December 6th. So I still had like a Krampus and a Nicholas come to like kindergarten and come to elementary school. And now it's like this huge political deal about it. But when I was young, they still came to my school. I think probably most children in Austria have some sort of memory of Krampus. Um, and it's still now, it still gets me when around the 5th of December, I hear the cowbells cow for whatever reason. It really startles me in the look around. But in my hometown, there is a big, um, what they call, Perchtenlauf. So they have all the traditional Krampus or Perchten figures. Um, and it would be like quite a big event um, in, the, in the central square with a parade. And then afterwards, the Krampus or the Perchten would run around wild. I, I don't remember it to be very violent, but it was just scary sort of from, from afar. There's a difference between the Krampus and the Perchten, and the Perchten um, are actually in a way positive figures, even though they're scary, but they help to drive out the winter and to drive out the bad spirits. So I quite like to think of them as a kind of a protective tradition. In, in my house, when I was a child, at least the Krampus always had to stay outdoors. Only the Nicholas was allowed to come into the house um, and the Krampus would just make a lot of noise and, and yeah, scare the children. It is obviously like a contemporary folklore tradition, but I think that the Perchten um, go further back um, and have sort of like some, some pagan origin. 
We see Santa Claus in mitre and robes, attended by a number of devils in masks made at home, calling at a cottage. Adding yet another layer to this intricate tradition are the Pashtun, mystical beings who roam the winter landscapes in a spectacular display of masks and costumes. These creatures, associated with the winter solstice, symbolize the eternal struggle between light and darkness. Together, St. Nicholas, Krampus, and the Pashtun create a unique and enchanting experience during the Austrian winter, fusing centuries-old customs with a touch of magic. So Nikolaus Tag takes place very early um, in December. It's uh, December 5th. We do celebrate it. We always have celebrated it in our village and family. That is when the young people gather together and dress like St. Nicholas and who is accompanied by his campuses. So, and that's when St. Nicholas goes from house to house with his whole with this big golden book where each page highlights the last year and what children did and failed to do. That was another beautiful tradition that yes, we celebrated, yes, cherished and loved a lot, frightened us because of Krampus, of course, and I still bring um, little uh, Nikolaus bags to friends and family. When I was a child, up until probably 10, I don't know, and we would celebrate it every year. And there was always someone dressing up as St. Nicholas, And we would get walnuts, some chocolate, clementines or satsumas. And we would tell little poems. And then we were allowed, because he came with this very big stick and we were allowed to hold it. So it was really a kind of an inauguration for Christmas. Well, it starts with the advent calendars, but then this is the first big celebration that we always had as children. Well, I think as a kid, um, what's standing out most is the whole Christmas season starts, of course, with the Advent season. So we always had an Advent wreath at home where we would do um, the candle lighting. And then, of course, 6th of December with the uh, Nikolaus um, is a big event where, you know, on the 5th, the Krampus, the evil Krampus comes on the 6th. It's a Nikolaus, so if you behaved well, uh, you clean your shoes the night before, then you put them out, and then you wake up and you get a little gift and some nuts. And so that was always a very exciting time. I think all Austrian kids basically they have an advent uh, calendar where every day uh, you open a little something. My mom always made that herself. On the 5th of December, it's actually Campus Day, and on the 6th, it's Nikolaus Day. But we kind of celebrate evening of the 5th, at least my family did. When I think about, I, I think about two things when I think about Nikolaus. Nikolaus is actually very positive, and I, 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 I love um, getting like the little Christmas sock. We have like this, mm -hmm. this, this toad Christmas sock with a sticker of, of Santa Claus or like Nikolaus on, on it. But I guess my favorite memory is when we were really little because my parents really made one of their best friends dress up as uh, Nikolaus. He would come and <laughs> knock on the door and ask us if we were good girls and he would ask us a lot of questions, how our year was and what we did and then read a story and, and hand out like one of those little uh, stockings, I guess you say. 
stockings with filled with nuts and mandarins and a little bit of chocolate but back in the days it was at least in my family not not all about sweets it was more more about the nuts and, and mandarins and gingerbread that was probably uh, this this particular friend who was my Nikolaus was already I chose him to be like the, the, the speaker at my wedding who did like I did the free ceremony and he was like the master of ceremony so to speak so it's it's actually really sweet that he already was my Nikolaus and then the other thing about Campos yeah that is not necessarily my favorite thing because in Innsbruck we had the Campus Lauf in the city but they are scary like they are really they dress up um, and most of the time they drink mule wine at the Christmas markets and and it's like big guys dressed up as those monsters and drunk. then drunk and then with their chains and, and stuff and sometimes it gets really scary so I, I, I try to avoid being in the city center around 5 p.m. on the 5th because that's when this happened and I didn't I, I don't like it but I know like I, I guess I know that for it's a it's a it's a big tradition and I think it's good to be keep this tradition yeah I think there should be some rules about the alcohol <laughs> maybe yes I love Nicolas and I also don't really like campus um, there is one memory in my head that, where my parents also made friends of them dress up as Nicolas and but also as campus I had friends invited and we were so scared of campus that my parents had to lock him out on the terrace because we were so scared to go next to Nicolas and grab our candy because campus was sitting next to Nicolo. And they never did that again because we were so scared of the, the mask and the chain. And, and also the friend who was dressed up as campus, um, he felt so sorry. <laughs> And yeah, he unmasked and came in and apologized to us children. This belief in smoking, like the smoking ritual, to repel the wild hunt is also reflected in the so-called Perchten. Um, it's a traditional Alpine custom where individuals dressed as mythical creatures running through the streets. They are large, frightening figures wearing crazy crafted wooden masks with scary horns, making noises with big chains and kettlebells. I'm not talking about Krampus himself. They can look alike and both are definitely uh, on the spooky side. So you might think that Krampus and Berchten have the same purpose of just frightening people and kids, but that is not the case. Raunechte, smoking nights, rough nights. The veil between the spirit realm and the physical world is lifted and the wild hunt is active and ready to cross into our reality. That sounds spooky. That's, that's the belief. So Perchten represent these spirits of malevolent forces. This tradition reflects the age-old struggle between light and darkness, between good and evil. So while, while demons and ghosts are out there during those nights, these figures roam the um, Alpine villages as well, because mystical figures can, can be called forth by humans as well. And Perchten are said to drive away evil spirits. So working with smoke, weeping and snapping away the evil, that's what 
the Perchtenlauf or Krampuslauf, as some call it, um, tries to do. And and yeah, some Americans or even Austrians might have heard about St. Nicholas and Krampus, but that's a whole different story. So those spectacular winter shows that, that you have seen or maybe will see between December and January, they symbolize the fight between the good and the bad, between the old year and the new year. That's a tradition that is very well known, but sometimes can be mixed up between with Krampus, with the Krampus story. So in my area, I grew up and right in the suburbs of Vienna, there were a lot of the Perten, which are these folklore, mystic, mean, scary looking. They have like masks and horns and everything. So there would always be the Perten love, which then they run around and they have chains. And, you know, you're like really scared that they hit you. You know, as a kid, you're actually really scared, but I think it's, you know, to get rid of the evil and it's, it's just a, a fun evening, actually. If, if you know that they don't really hit you, of course. The mother brings her children forth. They piously make the sign of the cross and she's able to give them name as good children. Each receives a present, apples or nuts or something. Christmas time evokes memories of distinct sights, smells and sounds. In Austria, Few locations embody these memories more than the Christmas markets that spring up across the country starting in mid-November. From the largest Christmas markets, bustling with visitors in cities like Vienna and Salzburg, down to the smallest markets that seem to blend into the alpine forests surrounding them. They also share their favorite foods of the season, from grandma's Christmas cookies at home to Kaiserschmann purchased from a street vendor. They're just beautiful. I always highlight them when anyone asks me about what to do in winter in Austria. <laughs> Go to Christkind markets. My favorite Christkind market in, in Vienna would be the one at Freyung. That is one of the smaller ones. I feel like they're the, the smaller ones are just not that much known. So it's just beautiful to walk around, drink one or two cups of punsch or glühwein, enjoy, enjoy the magic of Christmas feel the magic that Christkindlmärkte have. On the 24th, in the morning, my family, we're getting ready to go to the Christmas market um, in Innsbruck, the one in the old town. Everybody's running like last Christmas errands, and then we meet at the Christmas market to have um, a Kirchel. And the Kirchel is a, a traditional Austrian fried dough pastry. And it's served throughout throughout Austria on, at Christmas markets. Throughout Austria, it's called differently. So in Tyrol, it's called Kirchel, and it's fried in boiling lard, and it's absolutely delicious. And you can have it in multiple ways: um, one savory and and actually two sweet versions of it. So either you have it with sauerkraut, or would be the savory, or with cranberry jam or powdered sugar and yeah so that that is already very special because everybody loves it and we only have that during the Christmas time so throughout the year they don't sell it anywhere. In Salzburg we have two special Christmas markets one is the main one in the city center obviously right next to the Salzburg dome to, next to the church it is absolutely spectacular because you can see the Salzburg castle, the Salzburg Festung in the background on the hills, covered with snow, and then the market is lit up, especially when we have snow. 
um, it is a very special moment on the first day walking into that market where you see all the lights and then you see the festung in the background. People are so happy, laughing all around. The sugar-coated uh, almonds, of course, um, so it smells like sugar-coated almonds, but then um, you smell Kaiserschmarrn. At the Salzburg Christmas Market, there is a stand where they serve, I think, six or seven different kind of Kaiserschmarrn. But if you imagine pancakes cut into pieces, I think that's how I would describe it. And then you use, it's very fluffy. I really like it simple. So um, I like Kaiserschmarrn just with Staubzucker or Puderzucker of Deutsch. I don't know, I think they have like seven different ones, you know, with plum jam, with marillen jam, obviously, right, marille. It's it's hard to describe it. It's it's definitely in, in many different flavors and it's, it's just fluffy. It smells amazing. And you feel like you are not eating anything special. You are eating clouds, <laughs> you know, like Wolken. <laughs> and then, of course, it's uh, really heavy and you shouldn't eat, eat it every day. I grew up in a small city 30 minutes away from Vienna and Vienna is really transforming to winter wonderlands um, during December. I love going to Christmas markets since I'm little. When I was little I, I went with my mom. We were looking at all these presents and, and had like chocolate and gingerbread. <laughs> there is a lot of also um, Christmas tree decorations and Christmas decorations, but also a lot of food and sweets and candy. So as a child, it's it's really an, an adventure going there. And I always love to be there. And now I live in Vienna and now I love going there with my friends <laughs> because it's always a lot of fun. They're open. Most of them are open till 12 in the night. So we go there and drink um, mild wine. The Salzburg Christmas market is very special in this case because it is so centered around our work right now. We can just really meet up there at the Christmas market and have a drink or a Kaiserschmarrn, try out different, different versions of, of the Glühwein. Even when I was a child, um, the Christmas market was always the highlight of the entire Christmas season, I would say. I loved looking at the different booths and check out the handmade stuff. Every year I had a certain specific wish what I would get from the Christmas market. From Vienna's imperial grandeur to the alpine charm of Innsbruck, Austria's Christmas markets stand as living representations of the country's diverse, multi-ethnic heritage. Approaching the eastern border, one may find several Hungarian or Slovak dishes served alongside traditional Austrian glühwein. Next to the village where I'm from, there's an even smaller village and uh, there is a lead way into the forest. And there used to be a Christmas market in the middle of the forest um, with sort of traditional handicrafts um, and a big fire. Um, and you would have to walk through the forest and there was a lot of snow and then they would play like some folk music of some kind. But you were really surrounded by the forest and in the snow and then it would slowly get dark. It was really cold, but it was very, very magical. <laughs> in Vienna, you know, around every corner there is a different Christmas market. So uh, my favorite one, if I can say that, is the one in Karlsplatz, like right in front of the Karlskirche, the St. Charles Church. And that's the um, art uh, advent market. I, every Christmas market actually has their own like mug 
um, that's specific to that Christmas market. So you'll you'll get the Glühwein or the Punch or any hot hot drink that you order from that specific market. So sometimes people like to keep those and collect those. So yeah, the Glühwein or the Punch, uh, the Kinder Punch, if you if you're a child, what really you know gets you in the in the mood for Christmas. And then always um, the Maroni, so the chestnuts. I think that's a big part uh, of winter season in Austria just eat the, the cooked chestnuts and then the chestnut stands always also have the potatoes all the christmas markets also have stands where you can um, buy sweets um, desserts and um, to get unique gifts is also really nice if you if you buy them at the at the christmas markets because they have especially handmade stuff from all over austria in uh, europe in in italy or in central europe as well you find roasted chestnuts offered on many street corners during the winter season, especially at Christmas markets. I miss that a big deal in the US. And uh, mulled wine for Christmas season is another food item that I, I miss a lot. That's very, it's not just warming your, your hands when you hold the, the hot cup of the mulled wine, but it's also warming, warming from the inside and it's so fantastic to hang out with friends and family and share that and staying outside in a in a in a center of a medieval town and beautiful landscape around you and drinking that wine and maybe having those chestnuts at christmas markets in the southeast of austria the cultural influences of regional neighbors like switzerland and italy are much more present now I feel it's a lot of people there and sometimes you don't even see the market anymore. As a child, I mean, I was really enthusiastic about all the pretty decorations, especially in Vienna. Um, and then there's like a carousel, like a Christmas carousel. That's all the things I would do. Um, I think today, if you say like what represents Christmas markets for the adults, it's definitely punch. All people go like and immediately like go for the punch. But I, I mean, I still like just like going around and like looking at little things and buying decorations or stuff like that. I still like the feeling and uh, especially at night when it's all lit up. Um, I, yeah, I really love it. The other Christmas market um, is the Christmas market at Hellbrunn, which is again at another castle nearby. Um, this is the area from the Sounds of Music, you know, where there's a proposal taking place, I think. That Christmas market is again very special. It is in a, a beautiful setting. When you walk in there, you know, there's this amazing castle in the background with the gardens. You can walk around in the garden and um, there's a little lake and there is a little angel lit up um, at one of the lakes. Um, the trees are ornamented, so the trees from, from the garden with huge red ornaments. It is absolutely stunning. It's usually it starts at like four or five in the afternoon. That's when it's dark in the winter. I always remember this in the dark. A lot of colors, a lot of chachkas, a lot of little Christmas trees and uh, balls of crystal balls and a lot of food. You know, they have a lot of cakes and Christmas cookies. I don't know. So they make this down to different Christmas cookies. They're little croissants, tiny little croissants made from uh, vanilla uh, with sugar. So it's like a, it's a dough with lots of vanilla in it and sugar on top. I go to the different places in the Christmas market and sample all these different cookies. It's just great. In Austria, I mean, it's not very like traditional, but for me, Christmas market always meant eating langosh. 
I think it's like a Hungarian, like fried dough dish. Um, so I always had langosh when we went to Christmas markets. I mean, it's super popular. Like there will always be a long line and they will have them like maybe at ice skating rinks or at Christmas markets. They don't have them like all year round. Interesting. They would eat the cinnamon, cinnamon croissants with fish paste, like a fish butter. It was a very interesting, it would only, the, the cinnamon croissants you could only get in one place in Graz, so they would get it there. And then this was a tradition in the families. On Christmas Eve in the United States, it is common for children, along with their parents, to prepare Christmas cookies and a glass of milk for Santa Claus, so that he may have something to eat and drink while taking a break from delivering presents later that night. Christmas cookies in Austria are mostly coveted by family members, awaiting the moment they are finally allowed to be eaten. There is a nice bakery um, in, in another small village nearby, um, and we always go and buy the cookies maybe a day or two before Christmas Eve. Um, and each of us is allowed to select one or two different variants because there's so many of them. And then uh, we keep them in the basement and no one is allowed to touch them. And only after the, the meal on Christmas Eve, we bring them up, we put them on a nice plate and we present them and eat them together before exchanging the presents. So it's a, I think it's a very specific moment for this food because after Christmas, somehow there's always so many Christmas cookies left over until no one can eat them anymore. But it's really this build up to Christmas Eve where it's a very, very special food. My family and my uncles, cousins, aunts, we all meet at my grandparents. Like we go for a walk in the forest, it's very nice, we chit chat. Then after the walk, we meet at my grandparents' house for Oma's very special Christmas cookies. Um, so we sit in like, a, it's called Stube. It's a very traditional Tyrolean, I guess lounge room would probably be the best description. It's the room is, the walls are covered in wood. We have a very cozy bench, blankets made out of sheepskin. And it's very cozy and there's a fire pit. And then we have coffee and tea, my Oma's Christmas cookies. And her thing is that she's baking those cookies throughout December, but she's not giving them out until the 24th, which is really a killer for everybody who, who is at her house and can smell the, the, the delicious scent, the scent of her uh, cookies, but is not allowed to eat them until the 24th. Before we would go into the Stube, into the living room where the gifts were, we would probably have a, we usually had a meal all together. And uh, if you think of a typical Christmas meal at that time, you know, we rarely got to uh, eat meat. So usually if we got Wiener Schnitzel that evening, that was the highest of the high. I mean, one tradition in Austria is that you would eat a goose, but we never really ate a goose. That was not common in rural Austria. So we were just happy with, with the Wiener Schnitzel and, you know, uh, uh, and, and uh, Pommes frites, meaning French fries. So that was sort of uh, a typical Christmas meal for us. And then we went into the Stube where the gifts uh, were uh, all lying on the ground and we all marched to our gifts and looked at our gifts and sort of uh, uh, in wonderment looked what, you know, our brothers and sisters got. There would be no meat on Christmas uh, Eve and at midnight the family would go to the church service and then after midnight we were allowed to have uh, 
dinner basically and would able to eat uh, meat. We would celebrate, of course, pretty much well our family. You're right. Big Christmas tree, uh, presents, music. Somebody would, they would play the piano. My brother would play the piano or something. And the big uh, cold meal. It was all cold meal, yeah. Fake tuna. That's what they call it, the translation from Austria. And I think it's made from veal and Parmesan cheese and onions, all put together into a paste, like a terrine of some sort, and then covered with, uh, in general, it's called aspic, which is uh, kind of jelly you put on top. So it's kind of covered with that transparent jelly thing. It's made from bones. So it's a very interesting, and you eat that with mayonnaise and bread. Uh, most of my uh, mother's family originally from Czechoslovakia. So I think they brought all this stuff with them from there, all these special foods. In our family, it was always my sister who, who, cooked the, who cooked the Christmas food. So it would always be something different, but very opulent. So it's going to be a lot. I just know from some of our relatives, friends, they try to keep the Christmas dinner low. It would be sometimes just bratwurst with sauerkraut, or sometimes they have a traditional Christmas fish, but not in our family. Red cabbage, <laughs> because there's different way of cooking it, um, and it's part of the different meals very often from the autumn to Christmas. But I think there is not a specific um, food I love at Christmas. We, I just love preparing so much food and eat everything. <laughs> so like those um, eight course dinners we have on the 24th. We hear the beloved memories of 10 individuals from across Austria, from old Christmas Eve traditions with food and family to newer customs like the Bethlehem Light of Peace. These stories will enchant you with the holiday spirit. I grew up on a farm on the south side of the Austrian Alps, where tradition and customs played a very significant role across the four generations that, that lived in our house. There were the elders, and I'm not just talking about my grandparents, but also great-grand-uncles and aunts that lived with us. And they passed down ancient stories and old beliefs. And I really want to say that the magic of those times has, has not really lost its spell to this day. I mean, traditionally, you would write a letter to the Christmas angel, to the, to the Christkind. You would put the letter outside of the window, and then magically it would get to the, the Christ child and then it would know what you wanted for Christmas. And then if you really got it, of course, if you behaved well and were a good boy or girl, uh, you would get those things and then really getting them, opening the package and hoping it's in there. And then it's in there. I mean, this was amazing. In Tyrol, traditionally, we didn't have uh, Santa Claus. Uh, for Christmas, the, the figure who would bring the Christmas gifts was an angel. 
and this angel uh, we were told you know would show up and and bring the gifts and then fly away disappear but very often would leave hair behind golden hair the grown-ups would leave golden hair on the christmas tree and so on or in the apartment somewhere or in the house as an evidence that uh, this Christkind, the Christ child, which was uh, shown or, or pictured as an angel, as a female angel normally, was visiting. And this was all very magic, of course. As a child, this is, I think, one of the markers of childhood that you still believe in magic. On Christmas Eve itself, we as, uh, as children, we were very curious and excited, of course. The living room was already locked early in the morning and our parents made secret preparations while, while everyone was busy on the farm. The elder were trying to keep us engaged, you know, trying to give us some chores, extra chores, whatever. We were happy to take them. So we had our usual chores to do or just played in the snow. There were always tons of snow. That's what I remember when I think about Christmas in Austria. We prepared maybe on Heiliger Abend, which is the 24th. That's in Austria when the gifts are being given out. So not on the morning of the 25th, but the evening of the 24th. A Heiliger Abend, it's called, a holy evening. Even though I've lived abroad for a long time, uh, I've never spent Christmas anywhere else than in my hometown where my parents still live. Um, so it's always, it's a little village in Upper Austria. So this is the first place that comes to mind and my parents' house sort of being nicely decorated and smelling of gingerbread and maybe having a ginger house. And very kitschy, very kitschy memories. <laughs> Things change uh, over the years, but there are some traditions that my family has kept throughout. One is uh, to decorate the tree together um, and it is always a live tree, a small one that we can then plant. And so we would get the, the different decorations out of from the basement and then decorate the tree together. We don't, we never really put up the Christmas tree until the day of Christmas, so the 24th is when the big Christmas happens in Austria. It's not like here, because now it's like before Thanksgiving and I'm already seeing all the Christmas trees up. That was never the case in my family, so Christkind, the Christ child, always brought the tree as well. Or, or so my parents said, um, and I believed, of course. Picking the Christmas tree ahead of time, making sure it really looked nice and even if it was a little bit more costly to get a nice tree was was always very important a well-grown tree tree and also the challenge to keep it fresh so the needles would fall wouldn't fall down um, and then decorating there was kind of traditional decorations that were used for decades in the family it was not like that every year they would decorate the tree differently there were these decorations that were in the family for, for many years and they were used year after year. We were using real candles on the tree. I remember coming into the room when the bell rang and we were allowed to go into the room where the Christmas tree was and then see all the lights and the candles. Specific smell, of course, those candles. As a child, of course, I wouldn't think about the dangers of a Christmas tree like that. Sure enough, there were many fires uh, during the Christmas season because of these Christmas trees and and uh, and the candles. We put up the Christmas tree 
with the Krippe around it. The Krippe is sort of the nativity scene, you know, and the Krippe was sort of very important to us kids because it, in a way, allowed us to show our creativity a bit by putting together the figures the way we wanted to. But in a way, it started much earlier because uh, uh, we collected moss in the forest maybe in weeks before when it was not snowy yet. Uh, collected moss and stored it in the house and then when we put the crippet together we put down the moss and we got out the figures we had a set of figures of course the nativity scene but also shepherds and uh, various animals and cows and so forth so putting the crippet together was was a very important part of of christmas and of course at the same time the Christmas tree, but we left that more to the girls uh, and the boys probably would work more on the Krippe. This this would happen in the course of the day. The Christmas Eve meeting Heiliger Abend is when the gifts were being given. So usually the way it unfolded is we would uh, stand around the Krippe and the Christmas tree. Lights were put on, believe it or not, uh, real lights, uh, uh, you know, flickering lights. Uh, with, uh, I mean, the tree was still fresh at this point, so the danger of a fire was not as big, but I still, thinking back, uh, think that is quite something. Many of Austria's cultural traditions can be traced back thousands of years, but the country has never stopped creating new traditions, such as the case with the Bethlehem Light of Peace, known to Austrians as the Friedenslicht. We, we had another significant tradition that we held up very high in our family, and that was thatching the piece of light on Christmas Eve. That day we had to accompany our grandfather to collect the piece of light from our church. So this allowed our parents some time to, to decorate the Christmas tree and place gifts underneath, because the, that was important. The, the decoration of the Christmas tree happened at the day of Christmas Eve, not days or weeks before. So that's something that still bothers me when I see Christmas trees um, early in the year. But the the Friedenslicht, I don't I don't want to say maybe the light of peace or the peace of light, I don't know. Well it happens that a child lit a candle in the Nativity Grotto in Bethlehem, symbolizing Christmas peace. And on the evening of December twenty-fourth the light is distributed and taken to churches worldwide um, where believers used, used it to light their lanterns and, and then maybe later the candles on their Christmas trees. So we always lit our Christmas tree with the light of peace. Originating in 1987, the light of peace has quickly become a beloved part of Christmas festivities. Every year, hundreds of Austrians, led by a specially chosen child, make a pilgrimage to Israel's West Bank. There, they retrieve an active flame from the Nativity of Christ in the city of Bethlehem. The flame is then carefully transported back to Austria and shared with the celebrants from Innsbruck to Vienna, symbolizing peace and unity among all who maintain it. I remember that as a child there was a girl um, that I grew up with who was sent uh, to Bethlehem to pick up the light. There was still this light and we go and pick that up and then we light all the candles in the house with this particular flame. And specifically in my house, I mean, we would meet people at the, at the chapel. So it's a very nice way to start Christmas Eve. Um, but then in, in the village where I grew up in, it's quite traditional to have um, only a family Christmas. So it would maybe be the grandparents who would come, but mostly it's just really 
parents and the children. And in, in my family specifically, this is still the case. So even though me and my siblings are all grown up, we still come, the three of us, to my parents' house and we celebrate the five of us. So it's quite a small celebration. And then the bigger celebrations with extended family, partners, etc., are um, the day after or the day after that. I, I'm thinking about uh, Tirol and Innsbruck um, that's where I'm from and I grew up and that's where my parents still are. Think about the 23rd and 24th of uh, December and that's like when the magic happens basically. The 23rd my mom and I are decorating the Christmas tree while my dad is actually already prepping the meat fondue, which is what we're having on the 24th at night for the Christmas dinner. So when he's prepping the kitchen, cleaning the kitchen and puts on very loud Christmas music, actually Barry Manilow. So the Christmas album from Barry Manilow blasts through the speakers while my mom and I are decorating the Christmas tree. Whereas in Austria, you know, in 24th in the morning, you still have to rush to get everything ready. And then the sun sets silent, like special night on the 24th when you celebrate. So I usually find the the 24th is the magical Christmas to me. You know, you have the the big dinners in my family. We would we always eat the fondue and raclette on the 24th in the evening and have that big dinner. What's crazy to me is that on the 26th you can already go to the stores again and everything is open and stuff because in Austria it's really, you know, 25th and 26th are still days off as well that you would spend with family and no store is open, nothing is open. After meal, the light goes down and the Christmas story was read and prayers were said, remembering and praying for the departed, for family members that have died. And then came the highlights, the, the ringing of the Christ child bell from the locked living room. It was so mystical for us children. The Christ child itself seemed to appear illuminating the Christmas tree with the peace light and disappearing unnoticed into the night after that. So. When that happened, the door opened and the magic of Christmas filled the house. That was a very magical moment. In the evening, you would have like to hide um, in your room and then you would look out the window to like see a very bright star that would be like the Christkind. I was very gullible. Like I definitely believed that a Christkind, because it's so small, it needed help from my father carrying presents. So I completely understood why my father was never with me in the room looking out for the Christkind, just me and my mom and my grandma. And then you would hear like a bell and that meant the Christkind was there and you go into the room and it's like the tree is completely illuminated. And my parents would always have a gift for me from the Christkind, which they pretended not to know. It's all these traditions that kind of get lost when you are too old. Of course, there always pops up something into my mind that makes me smile and, and, and I love to think back to the old days when we celebrated Christmas with our family. It was always, always a big family. It was not just my parents and us four. It was always my grandparents, my grand aunts and uncles, and sometimes even um, visitors. So it was always a big celebration, very spectacular and mystical at the same time, very magical. Very important part of Christmas Eve is that you went to, to the Mitte. That was midnight mass. Remember, this is a very Catholic uh, village, uh, so everybody went to Mette to midnight mass. 
it was sort of exciting if you got clothing, you put your new clothing on and you saw, you know, your friends in church who also might have new clothing and everybody, you know, uh, uh, paid attention to that. What is very different today from then, from when I grew up, is that at that time in my youth there was still lots of snow usually when you went to midnight mass. You had to trot through the snow, sometimes it even snowed, which would be wonderful on a Christmas evening. At one point you sang Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht, uh, which sort of is the famous Austrian Christmas song, that uh, a silent night that still is being sung in American churches too. You sort of get the impression, you know, how important religion was in terms of uh, putting together the Krippe and the Christmas tree. It's traditional that Austrian families sing in front of the Christmas tree before you open the gift. So my family, we would always sing uh, O Tannenbaum and Stille Nacht. Stille Nacht is actually a song written um, in Austria, so the silent night. It's still very important to my family, even though we're not uh, great singers at all, <laughs> um, to sing together at least one or two songs. With origins in Germanic mythology, the Raunechte, or Smoke Nights, are a tradition celebrated over the 12 days following Christmas Eve. During the Smoke Nights, it's common for Austrians to burn incense, clean the house, or even light fireworks as they prepare to embrace the new year and wave goodbye to the last. Some Austrians believe it becomes possible for humans to understand the language of animals. It's the practice or the ritual known as smoking during the nights of the so-called Raunächte. Raunächte are 12 specific nights around the turn of the year. And in our tradition, it comes from Rau, meaning rough, or Rauch, that means smoke. Nacht means night, of course. So I want to say freely translated to English, it means rough night or smoke night. This smoke ritual plays a very significant role. It aims to drive away ghosts and demons that carry out their nefarious deeds during these Raunächte. So it's a, it's a very magical period steeped in ancient customs and deep-rooted beliefs. Folklore, as well as my grandmother, claimed that during these nights the spirit realm is open and the souls of the de departed roamed freely. My, my grandmother always spoke of the stormy forces of midwinter that steer and float around during those 12 nights, those 12 rough nights, smoke nights, as we call it. This activity was known as the Bilderjagd or the Wild Hunt. And these spirits try to mess with you. So to ward off misfortune, smoking rituals were performed on the three most important rough nights. And one of them were Christmas Eve. Uh, the, the purpose or the sense of this ritual was to, to establish order and purity, protecting against malevolent spirits, spirits in the house and on our farm. So I remember very well that our great uncle Hans, he was not really our uncle, but he used to live with us on the farm since he was a child. He always led the ritual of smoking. Accompanied by us children, it was me, my sister and our two little brothers, Hans moved through the house from room to room with a censer that was filled with herbs and consecrated palm leaves from Easter. And that was very important. 
it, it has to be consecrated palm leaves from Easter. My grandmother would never allow us to put anything else in there. We kids were following him and his censer with cups filled with holy water and sprinkled, sometimes spilled, the water in the rooms while the Hail Mary was recited in canons. And we moved from room to room and through the stable to bless the animals. When, when I talk or think about that, it, it was very mystical, but it was, it was basically a cleansing ritual to gratefully bid farewell to the old year and, and clean it from old spirits and to welcome the new year with blessings. In the evening, those customs began, oh, the traditions, the Christmas traditions began. We traversed the house, the stable, the barns to drive away spirits with our smoking ritual and prayed for blessings in the, in the coming year. Well, I want to point out maybe the journey through the stable that was particularly exciting because as the legend goes, animals were able to speak on this night and complain about their masters if they have to. So therefore we took extra care of our animals that night, especially the newborn calves and the elderly cows. There was a tradition in Tyrol, like a, a folk tradition. People were saying, and now humans cannot understand the animals, but the animals have a language too. They talk to each other. That's something we were told as children, of course. And there is only one evening in the year when humans can hear and understand uh, what the animals are talking, what they're saying. And that's for Christmas, Christmas Eve that I thought, okay, I really want to know what they're saying, what they're talking about us, the animals on the farm, what they say about us. And then I sneaked very quietly into the barn where the animals uh, living or, you know, were, were held. was hiding there and very quietly uh, was hoping, you know, to, to hear them speak and was very excited about that. But as you can imagine, it did not work out. I did not understand them, just like any other day or evening during the year and then I was very disappointed and and when I came back I told the grown-ups uh, yeah that doesn't work I didn't I didn't understand them and, and what's wrong and the grown-ups told me yeah that's probably because they noticed you're there and that's why it didn't work and that was a perfectly okay explanation for me Christmas is family it's like really the time where everybody gets together. I feel like the older you get, I think that the less stressful it becomes. I think it, sometimes people think of, uh, of Christmas like, oh my God, it's stressful. Everybody, it, everything is hectic. But I feel like once children are not children anymore, but like grown-ups, then everybody is just really having a good time, coming together, sitting, talking, eating, drinking, and just being together. And I think that is something like that the family thing about it that that's what makes it so special actually uh, my parents are divorced but when the first thing i think about when it um when it comes to christmas is my parents together because christmas is one of the rare times we would spend again as a family my mom my dad and i we are cooking and preparing the whole day we have like a eight course menu in the evening because we make so much food and we all love to eat I grew up in a country where everyone does Christmas. It has never had any religious connotation for me at all. Like, I'm not baptized. I was raised completely atheist. I do have to say, like, because of that, 
once you stop believing into the Christkind, a lot of the traditions get lost. So I tried to pretend for a long time that I still believed in the Christkind, uh, but my parents didn't believe me that I was still believing in it. If we do not hold traditions up high, those beliefs that are connected to Christmas, then they might get lost. That happens too easily. If, if you will miss one generation not passing those traditions, then you might not catch up in the next generation. So just understanding between me and my husband, for example, he never, he never had those traditions uh, celebrating in his family. So now it's me bringing in those traditions to our new little family. And I think that is just beautiful and important. I think for many of us, uh, celebrating Christmas is, is always hoping that this feeling the sense of, of miracles, of, won of wonder is coming back a little bit. I think this is the hope, even as a grown-up, that you get this a little bit back, that, that this feeling comes back to a certain extent. And if you have your own kids, of course, to see that in your own kids. And that's a way to get it back for yourself as well. Thank you for tuning in to Christmas in Vienna, and thank you again to the 10 individuals who shared their stories. I hope you enjoyed them. To learn more about the individuals who shared their stories, follow the links in the description. On behalf of the Bochtiba Institute for Austrian-American Studies, Frohe Weihnachten, Merry Christmas, and goodbye for now. <laughs>